Hello. Good morning. It's good to see you here today. Um, I'm going to begin by reading some words to you from Jesus. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22. It's part of his uh, teaching known as the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to these words. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders shall be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So what do you think of that? Does that make your soul sing this morning? It's evident to the Lord that anger's a big deal. A possible reason for this is that the heart of anger usually is malice towards another person. And that's probably in part uh, of the reason that this thing is spoken of against, uh, against uh, by God. Sorry, I'm stumbling through some words here this morning. But um, this morning we're going to deal with the vice of anger. Um, I mentioned the statistic in my very first message of this series, but it's evident that we live in a very angry culture. 72% of people surveyed agreed with this statement. I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. And that's just indicative of the culture that we find ourselves in. We have a testimony by one of our own here uh, who uh, is part of our Grace Point family. And Cody's going to talk candidly on the topic of anger. Watch this. Hey, Grace Point. My name is Cody Pomeranke. Um, <clears throat> grateful believer in Jesus Christ. And I gave my life to Christ probably about a little over a year ago. And actually struggled with uh, addiction, anger. <clears throat> and uh, just various other life problems and just here to let you guys know kind of talk about anger a little bit anger dominated my life in, in all areas my family with relationships with friendships just different things and, and I look at it as I acted out in anger because really I was scared inside I was scared to be lesser I was scared to be looked down upon because that's kind of how I spent my my younger life is just being picked on and bullied and anger was what scared people away and once I mastered that I, I thought that that was how you could you could grab onto somebody and just get them to leave you alone, you know. And and it's how you shut somebody down so you don't have to give any give anything of yourself. <clears throat> I kind of had this cool period of life when I gave my life to Christ. I had a year to just kind of spend time with Him in Scripture every day, and just in prayer and just just asking Him to just change me into the man that He created me to be. And. and um, Many times he took me outside of situations that happened in the past and showed me how my anger affected it and made the tension levels rise. And, and, it, and he'd take me outside of that and show me, and then he, in new moments with him in my heart and him in my life, each situation where, say, you have somebody, you, you might not even know them, and, and they're, they're mad, you can just tell they're mad for no reason. And it's like he, each time he, he'll he'll put a choice in front of me. It's like, okay, you can act this way or you can act this way. And each time I choose to act his way in a loving way, in, in a selfless way, it, it literally, you know, the verse that says you'll heap coals, you will heap coals on your enemy's head, you know, the, the, those, who, those who come up against you, you know, and if you, if you give them love. And it just calms them down. It, it's crazy how you can just see it just, puts the situation at a situation at a neutral and those opportunities just made me grow because it's it's crazy to see how 
once you harness God's love and you're, you're able to give that to somebody and you, and you take the opportunity to give that to somebody, the, the power that has and the effect that has in somebody else's life and my own is, is amazing. Amen. Amen. Cody shared several insights when it comes to this topic of anger, but I think one I really want to highlight here for you this morning, the reason that we see it so much in our culture is because it works. It's a great manipulation tool. It's a great tool for controlling others. It gets reinforced because of that. And so people think anger works. Anger gets me what I want. So therefore, it's kind of this self-perpetuating, problematic kind of response to a situation. This morning, then, we're dealing with the vice of anger. We're dealing with the vice of anger. Uh, I want to talk to you for a few moments just on on, on this topic from the heart. Um, Anger can be either a vice or a virtue. That's what makes it an interesting uh, topic. It can be either a vice or a virtue. Uh, I think, though, that it's really hard for most of us to, to enter into the virtue side of anger because that requires us to really be in touch with the Lord and acting justly in a situation. Jesus demonstrated this really well. Um, we're told in the New Testament that Jesus was uh, angered by injustice. Let, let me give you an example of why I say that. Um, in Matthew 21, Jesus entered the temple area, and he saw a whole bunch of people there um, selling and buying sacrifices for, for the temple, and there were money changers there also. And he got incensed by what was going on and by uh, the practices of some of those merchants. Uh, it, it was known that they would sell defective animals. They'd sell them for a high price. They were selling them where they ought not to be selling them, in a, a temple courts. There was money changers that would often exchange money, but you would, you would lose out if you were uh, on the wrong end of that exchange. And he got angry, and he overturned all the tables and threw them out of, that, out of the temple courts. And he says, my house will be called the house of prayer. And we see there... The Lord used anger as a virtue. It was directed at what? Injustice. And so when anger is directed at injustice, then it can be a virtue. Now I'm going to say this. We can hardly ever do that right. Amen? We can hardly ever do that right. But get this. It can be a tool for good if rightly directed. So anger can be a tool for good if rightly directed directed. And we need to take this to heart because sometimes we look at this part of it, I do too, and I just throw it out the window saying, I can't handle anger rightly, so I'm just going to throw that baby out and say, I never can do this. But here's maybe how we can begin to apply uh, using it as a tool for good. Taylor Branch uh, has written how in Montgomery, Alabama in the 1950s, bus drivers would accept money from African-American riders, but then would make them disembark the bus walk on the outside of the bus and re-enter through the rear door lest they touch a white person going down the center aisle. Sometimes for the fun of cruelty, drivers would take money and drive off while the person was walking toward the back door, leaving them without fare or transportation. There was a sin of anger here, but it was not with the black people. It was that the white people did not get angry. They read their Bible, they'd worship in church, but they'd not rise up in furry to demand justice at this wrong practice. I want you to think on this with me for just a moment, because this really bothered me, and it should bother all of us. It could be a sin for you or me 
As a follower of Jesus, when we're not upset about injustice, as I thought on that, it just unsettled my soul. There's an old saying, God, it's an old prayer actually, God, grace me to love what you love and to hate what you hate. And I love that little prayer. I'm almost afraid to pray it though because I know I get angry at the wrong things and very rarely get angry about the right things. How about you? It's really, really hard to do this. And anger is a tool for good if it's directed at injustice. So that is the virtue side of anger. Very difficult to do, but yet we're not off the hook just because it's difficult to do. But let me talk on the vice side of anger here. I think most of us are going to readily relate to this. Used in the wrong way, anger is deadly. Just used in the wrong way, anger is deadly. Listen to this story. Many years ago in Lithuania, a gentle old woman lived alone in the woods. On the rare occasion uh, when she spoke to people, it was always in Proverbs that either baffled or irritated them. She was particularly caustic to a rich landlord who lived in town, for she thought him to be a lazy man. When she saw him sitting in the sun, she said, as a door turns on its hinges, so a slugger turns on his bed. <laughs> that would get me mad, too, if I was sitting in the sun and someone said that to me. He hated the old woman. One day the woman came upon the Lord in the midst of a fierce argument. She moved between the shouting parties, pointed her finger at the landlord's face, and said... A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. The landlord was furious and vowed he would get rid of the meddling old woman. When the woman next visited town, the rich landlord baked a cake full of poison. After talking with her in a friendly fashion, he offered her the present. You have never tasted cake like this before, he assured her. The woman's only words to the landlord were, One day you'll find yourself. As the woman walked down the road with the cake, the landlord muttered to himself, Today you will find yourself in the arms of death. On the same day that old woman visited the landlord, his young son participated in a hunt in the woods close to her home. He and his servants lost their way and soon found themselves outside the hut where the old woman lived. The young man knocked on the door and told the woman how hungry and thirsty he was. Immediately she invited him uh, into the house to have a piece of cake, which had not yet been touched. The young man fell to the ground dead after the first bite. The servants left immediately to bring the father. As he knelt before the body of his son, tears streaming down his cheeks, the old woman spoke again. The man who makes holes falls into them himself. Uh, The story about anger is so true in that usually we intend it to hurt somebody else, and who does it end up hurting? Us. Now, anger will do damage to those in proximity to you, but it will also damage your own soul. Steve Deneff wrote a lot on this topic, matter of anger, and I want to read to you something that he wrote here. I thought it was super insightful. Are we angrier today than we used to be? Many social scientists say yes. Like a geyser, they say we are cool on the surface and boiling underneath. We have always had a problem with anger, but these days it seems like the threshold that separates uh, mere frustration from mindless rage is lower and thinner than ever. On the surface, we're opposed to violence, yet we celebrate strong, often obnoxious opinions underneath. The anthropologist Peter Wood has divided anger in our culture into two forms he calls old anger 
and new anger. The old anger was a dangerous, often forbidden zone of emotional disease. It was proof of one's lack of self-control. The angry man of the past was considered a weak-minded zealot, bereft of good judgment. But the new anger, says Woods, is a kind of exuberant show-off anger, a mix of wrath and swagger. He has in mind the uncivil arguments between politicians. I want you to hear that. Are you as tired as me of seeing this? Uncivil arguments between politicians? I don't care what side of the fence you're on. Are you tired of it? It's embarrassing. The loud and often violent music of gangsters, the gladiator style machoism, and the bantering of talk show hosts. Some of these talk show hosts, I think they should just be kicked off TV. They're so annoying. How about you? Anger has been transformed from a suspect emotion that most people struggle to keep under control to a fashionable attitude that many strive to get in touch with and exhibit in public. We feel entitled to express that emotion, and perhaps more importantly, we feel justified in feeling it in the first place in contexts where earlier generations would have felt shame. I thought that was kind of insightful. So what is anger? It's an emotional reaction, frequently in response to injustice, or perceived injustice, and it can be a virtue or a vice. That's what makes it a bit of a complicated topic. It can be a virtue or a vice. As we saw in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, and is dealing with the money changers and all that, it was a tool for righteousness. So in the case of Jesus, his anger was a virtue. Now, Deneff goes on uh, to say further in some of his writings these following words. The anger of Jesus was tempered by his justice. His justice did not stem from what was wrong in the world, but what was right in the kingdom of God. I like that. Jesus acted out of what was right in the kingdom of God. That's where, that's where his justice found its bearing. Not what's wrong with the world. We've got a lot of people that can tell us what's wrong with something. Amen? We've got to have some people who can say what's right. What do we do that's right? Most of the time, though, we have a perceived sense of injustice. It's not necessarily correct. It's what we think is going on. And that fuels our anger. And this pushes anger right into the, what I would call the vice category, the sin category. This was the, uh, the, the, the case with the Old Testament example of Cain. In the case of Cain, his anger was definitely a vice. Let me tell you about him for a, a few moments. Um, from the beginning of time... Perceived injustice has been a problem for people. Cain was the son of Adam and Eve, and he had a brother, Abel. Both he and his brother, Abel, brought offerings to God. A lot of us know the story. God received the offering of Abel, but he did not receive the offering of Cain. Cain was not pleased with this. Now, I could talk about why the offerings didn't work and all that, but that would be uh, sidestepping what I want to share with you this morning. Cain got angry about that. That's what I want to talk with you about. He got angry about this. And he probably thought, it's unfair. God, I, I brought to you what I thought was right. It's unfair. And his personal justice meter probably went red line right then, thinking, well, you, look at you, you're treating Abel and me uh, differently. And, and I, I must be the recipient then of some injustice here. And he took it out on his brother eventually by killing Abel, by murdering Abel. And I think he succumbed to the lie that so often fuels his vice of anger. Life's not fair. 
Others have it better or easier than me. I haven't got a fair shake lies beneath much of the anger that we see in culture. And I think this is part of the reason why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which I quoted to you earlier, said, long ago you've heard it said that you shall not murder. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with another will be subject to judgment because anger can be deadly. Anger can lead to wrong actions. Anger not only hurts those in proximity to it, it hurts the one who's expressing it. You know, if if you're motivated by anger, God help you. You're wrecking your body. Your heart rate's way up. Your blood pressure's way up. It's doing all kinds of damage to you. There's got to be long-term effects. Early in the life of, of the nation of Israel, God wanted to curb anger some. We don't, we don't look at this, some of this this way, but it's really behind some of the early teachings uh, of the law. God said early on in, in the nation of Israel, listen, you can only do an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Now, here's what I think was partly behind that. If you were a person that had position and power and authority in that culture and someone wronged you, you could say, you think you wronged me? Whammo! And in anger, you could go out and just destroy that person's life. And God said, no, I'm going to limit your response to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, when Jesus shows up in person, right? That's God in person, God incarnate, God in flesh. When God in flesh shows up, Jesus takes these same teachings. You've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And he says, I tell you what, if you get struck on the one cheek, what do you do? Turn the other cheek. If, you know, you're asked to walk a mile, walk two miles. If you want your coat, give them everything, you know, whatever, right? You get what I'm saying? And what, what God incarnate was telling us was this. The violence and the anger stopped with you. You've heard it said, eye for eye. That was to restrain an over-the-top response. Now he's saying, you who know me, when you're treated unjustly, it stops with you. Amen? And you don't respond in kind. Because anger is deadly and leads to destruction. We can't always avoid anger, but as Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 tells us, it says, do not sin in your anger and don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Don't make room for the devil in your life. Telling an angry person to settle down is akin to telling a drunk person to sober up. Doesn't usually work out very well. Until that anger subsides, it's pretty futile to try to talk to such a one in that state of mind. Uh, So let's talk about how do I move from this vice of anger. Now, when I'm talking about anger, moving from the vice of anger to the virtue of patience. I'm talking now about anger that's wrong, that has behind it this misconceived notion of, of injustice done to me and all that kind of thing. All right, I'm not talking about the virtue of anger now, okay? So now I'm just talking about how do we move from the vice of anger over here to where we become a long-suffering person, a person of, of patience. The means of grace from anger to patience is justice. It's justice, understanding justice uh, uh, correctly. And as a, a, a follower of Jesus, when we really begin to understand justice, and especially when we begin to live it on a personal, very intimate level with other human beings, it deflates anger, and it really does move us to this virtue of long-suffering 
or patience. Now, Cain perceived a lack of justice, and that uh, caused him to be angry. And God asked him, I mean, God asked him just outright, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. When God said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, he's not saying necessarily to Cain, Go back and give me a different offering. That's oftentimes where a message on that particular subject matter goes. But really what he was saying to Cain is, why are you angry with me for telling you what is true? Why are you not being receptive to my teaching and my leadings? You see, God will say what God will say, and God will do what God will do, and our anger will not change his mind. That's what he's saying to Cain. Your anger will not change my mind. Why are you angry? Do what is right. Listen to me now and live. I'm going to just tell you something that I think most of us already know. You're not going to change most people's minds, and you're not going to change most people's actions by your anger. Amen? It just doesn't work. So I want to talk to you for a few moments on how to understand this personal justice interaction with other human beings. See, we could talk on a grand scale, like we could talk on justice issues like sex uh, trafficking or, you know, discrimination or whatever, but those are big and abstract. I want to talk to you personal here. How do you begin to be a person who actually treats other people justly and rightly so that you move from this vice-dominated anger kind of thing to this virtue-dominated, patience-long-suffering kind of perspective. God revealed a two-step plan when he talked to Cain on how to do this, and I want to talk to you about that for a few moments here as we close out this uh, message. One, restrain from what is not right. He's saying to Cain, restrain from what's not right. What was not right with Cain? His angry response to God's instruction. That was wrong. Restrain from what is not right. In other words, what God's saying to you and I, be quick to listen, slow to speak, don't indulge emotions that lead towards vengeance-seeking or anger. Don't indulge those. Um, If you have in your life a certain kind of circumstance or situation that's a trigger that pushes you to anger, begin to honestly analyze, why am I getting angry? This is not a legitimate response. If you get angry a lot, I'm telling you right now, if you have a vice of anger going in your life a lot, that is sin. It is wrong. Quit justifying it and begin to say to God, how do I begin to get out from underneath this thing? It's a terrible taskmaster, amen? It's just killing my soul. You have to become convictional that you're not going to be an anger-driven person. Amen? You have to begin to restrain from it. And the source of anger is often a wrong perception or a wrong understanding of life or a perceived, you know, uh, you know, injustice or whatever. Ask God for the grace to that to be revealed to you. And get help. Get help. Talk to somebody. Go to counseling. Visit the prayer group afterwards. But begin to say, I'm not going to live like this anymore. Amen? 
That's where it stops. And that's what God was saying to Cain. Why are you angry? Amen? Why? Restrain from it. They're not going to do any good. Secondly, and most uh, probably even more importantly, pursue what is right. Pursue what is right. Frequently, if you want to get over a bad behavior, trying just not to do it doesn't work real well. Begin to pursue what is right instead. And so what we need to do as God's people is begin to pursue justice, treating others rightly, and begin to really step into what does that mean in my life very personally in one-on-one interactions with people I am around with every day. I mean, the big issues are important, but sometimes I think big issues for Christianity is a distraction because we get all in a huffy and a puffy about this thing that's far off and abstract when God is saying, what about those up close and personal to you? How are you doing with them? Are you treating them with justice? And by the way, he, he, let, me, let me even expand on it because this is still a little bit, I think, a bit of, uh, of a hard concept to, to grasp. What I'm really saying is we need to have constructive confrontation with those around us. And as soon as you use a, that word, you all go, what? Listen, all life is some form of, 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 of confrontation. Going out to have dinner, where are you going to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't know. That's confrontation, my friends. It doesn't mean this is negative. So get that negativity picture out of your mind. All of life is full of some kind of constructive confrontation. And we Christians, we need to get good at this. If we're going to act justly, and if we're not going to be anger-driven people, instead, if we're going to be long-suffering and, and, and patient people, we've got to get good at having constructive confrontation. So let me give you some examples of how this may be. Have an open mind versus a closed mind when dealing with others. Have an open mind versus a closed mind when dealing with others. Um, you know, do you lead with good, sincere questions? when you're talking with another human being? Or do you have rash statements that they have to say, oh, all right, I understand this person just upset, blah, 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 blah. Who are you? How do I handle it when people push back at me in life? Am I defensive? Am I critical? Am I angry? Or do I say, okay, am I collaborative or opinionated? Be honest now. Do I ever capitulate? Do I ever say, wow, I never thought of that point. You're right. Or in the back of your mind, you're saying, oh, I know they're right, but I don't want them to feel like they're right. Be open-minded versus closed-minded if you really want to treat somebody else justly. Secondly, have a soft answer versus harsh words. Tone matters. As you're feeling the situation amp up, are you getting louder and louder? And pretty soon are you speaking over everybody, right? Have a soft answer versus harsh words. Do you listen or do you speak over people? Then make sure that you're a person of integrity, not one of duplicity. Say what you mean and do what you say. Don't act one way in one situation and another way in another situation. Do not be a person of duplicity. Be a person of integrity. Um, and be honest with yourself. Am I helping the situation? Am I hurting the situation? How am I truly acting like Jesus in this situation? Am I treating this person justly? Okay. I'm talking a personal, relational interaction with another human being that's just. Because when we act that way with other human beings, it moves us from this vice of anger to this virtue of long-suffering. And last of all, 
Am I constructive or destructive? Am I a peacemaker or am I one who stirs the pot? Am I pulling with people or am I pulling apart from people? Am I about winning <laughs> or, am I, or, am, or am I about getting us both to a different destination that's more pleasing to the Lord uh, Jesus Christ? You see, those are some ways that you can act justly with another human being. And as you do that, as you have that kind of perspective, it moves you from being anger-dominated to being, I think, dominated more by long-suffering and patience. I've talked about this some, but it's time to give you the definition of the virtue that we're moving towards this morning, and that virtue is patience. Um, And it is a heavenly perspective where the follower willingly waits on God to do what is right. That's a perspective where the follower willingly waits on God to do what is right. Amen? So how do we get to this virtue? And I call it long-suffering. I know that's more of an old term, but I like that term, long-suffering, because it it sounds, uh, first of all, cooler than patience. But it also kind of tells you it may take a long time, and you may have some suffering (laughs) to, to be where God wants you to be as a follower. And so... The more that you practice this personal kind of justice interaction with other human beings, the more I'm convinced it displaces anger in your life. It takes away the basis of anger, which is usually perceived injustices or mistreatment by others because you're actually talking to other people on a different level, amen? And so even when they treat you unjustly, because Jesus was treated unjustly, right? It doesn't cause you to get as angry because you have a different perspective of interaction with them. You're restraining from giving in to the emotion of anger, and you're trying to, in the name of Jesus Christ, act justly. It just kind of takes that that whole anger thing and kind of distills it down a bit, and it moves you over here to being a person of long-suffering and patience. And so I'm going to end there today because we need to move to, to communion. And so I know that this is a problem for all of us, this anger to some degree or level. And I feel like I've just tickled the subject a little bit this morning. I would really, really encourage you, don't make a treaty. Don't make peace with anger in your life. Don't say, that's just the way I am. That's defeatism. That's fatalism. Don't do that. Ask the Lord Jesus Christ to do a work in you transform your heart and the way you think and the way you interact with others so that you're not trying to use anger to manipulate and control because usually that's all it is is a manipulation and control tool and start saying what it is I'm wrong when I'm trying to use it this way now I know there are situations that happen to you that are unjust amen I was saying this first hour I'll say it again I'll try not to change my tone because someone said by your tone I could tell you're still angry about this I said yeah okay but when I was in high school and in the shop class as a senior I brought in my motorcycle engine to rebuild it. And I rebuilt it, and someone stole it. And I went in one day to shop class to find my, my motorcycle engine, pull it out of the slot, and take it home. It was gone. And I remember going to my shop teacher and saying, my motorcycle engine is gone. And he wouldn't even hardly look at me. He wouldn't even acknowledge me. It's like, I'm, I'm going to pretend you don't even exist. And he wouldn't even acknowledge that it even happened. And I'm thinking, someone walked out of your shop class with my motorcycle engine. All I wanted the guy to do was at least say, yeah, this happened. 
but he wouldn't even say it happened to today. It still bothers me. Can you tell? <laughs> but but it's, you know, at some point you have to just say, you know, this anger thing is not going to control me. I'm over here and I understand I'm going to patiently wait on the Lord to do what is right, even in the case where my motorcycle engine got stolen. I mean, we just have stuff like that happen to us. It's just the way it is. We live in this sin-soaked world and bad stuff happens. And we just have to be, we cannot let ourselves be dominated by anger as a response. It doesn't do any good. It just destroys our soul and destroys everybody around us in proximity to us. Amen? Let's pray and then we're going to take communion this morning. Um, Lord God, I want to thank you for this little short talk on anger today. I, I just feel like, man, I just scratched the surface of it, Lord. And would you forgive us for oftentimes responding so angrily, so quickly? It's, it's like Deneff said, there's like a volcano just underneath people that just erupts so quickly anymore. It's almost frightening how quickly people can amp up and get angry. And I want to pray, Lord, for us as the people of God, that that not be us. That we restrain from that, as you said to Cain, just restrain from that. Why are we angry? Just restrain from being angry. And instead, Lord, that we do what is right. We act justly. If Cain would have just responded to your teaching, Lord, and said, okay, God, what do you want me to do here? He wouldn't have killed his brother. I, I know that. And, and he would have found favor in your eyes, Lord. And I pray that would be who we are, that we treat others justly, be open-minded versus close-minded, and all the other things uh, we talked about this morning, Lord. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you um, for this look into anger today. In your name, Jesus, and all God's people said,